Dig a Bit, a podcast for women who want to dig into the meat of God's Word for a bit. We are glad you have taken a few minutes out of your day to listen. Our host is Cindy Colley from thecolleyhouse.org. Now grab your Bible and let's dig in. All right, good morning. We are in our lesson two of The God of All Comfort. And we talked yesterday about kind of the process of going through the book and identifying the passages, the text that specify different ways in which Paul was comforted. The next question is, it says realizing that the above exercise was tedious. I think some of you uh, think that that's an understatement from what I'm hearing. Let's pause and take comfort for ourselves. Let's do something easier and rejoice in our own sources of comfort. Look through the list above and check off the sources of comfort that apply to you today. From which ones in the above list are you taking comfort today? List them below using words like these after the top two below. I take great comfort in Christ today. That's just simple. We as Christians, because we are his disciples and because he said he's going to prepare a place for us, then we take great comfort in Christ. That's just a very general one that we all know is obvious. The next one is the resurrection comforted Paul. Well, the resurrection comforts me today because I know from 1 Corinthians 15 and other passages that my spirit, my body will be raised and it will be made new into a heavenly body and that my spirit will dwell in the new body with the Lord forever and ever because the resurrection, the first fruits of the resurrection was Jesus Christ. I take great comfort. I could just put there, I take great comfort in, in his resurrection because I know I can be raised too. So the next one is prayers of Christians comforted Paul. I could write a book about that right now, but I would just say that they daily comfort me. I know that other Christians are praying for the best outcomes in difficult situations in my life as I am for them, and there is great comfort in that. A clean conscience comforted Paul. Well, that one's obvious when we have our consciences cleansed. Um, in baptism, the washing away of the filth, not the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience, 1 Peter 3. So there is great comfort in the washing, the cleansing, the um, constant purification by the blood of Jesus, 1 John 1, 7, of our consciences. So a clean conscience comforted him. The sure promises of Christ comforted Paul. That's in 1, 20 and 21. And in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, we find the sure promises of Christ comforted Paul. We talked about that a little bit in the last dig a bit, but certainly promises like Matthew 6, 33, like the Beatitudes, like... Um, whoever is building on the rock, when the storms come, that house will stand. Those are, um, some of them are parabolic promises, but they are the promises of Christ and we find great comfort in them. The next one, the guarantee of the Spirit comforted Paul. That's the one where I want to park for a little bit in the next couple of digabits. The guarantee of the Spirit comforted Paul. I think that there are lots of us who would pause here and say, hmm, I'm not sure that the guarantee of the Spirit is something that I fully understand, much less am comforted by today, this October the whatever, 2022. I'm not sure I understand 
how that translates to Cindy Colley. So that's always our goal is, of course, to take these passages and make them very practical for us. So I want us to take just a little bit of a study of what Paul is talking about when he says in verse 20, it is God, well, we're in verse 21, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. He's establishing the apostles and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And we're going to look at some other passages that might um, have an impact on this passage because, of course, we're always to take the sum of his words and to rightly divide the words. So let's just park it here and talk about these words seal and possibly the word guarantee. If you're taking notes, you will want to write S-P-R-A-G-I-S, Spragus. You might know someone who has that last name. That's a, a last name in English, in the English world today. Spragus, S-P-R-A-G-I-S. And we're gonna look at a couple of different kinds of forms of that word, but for today, I'm gonna try to make it brief and just give us an introduction. But that word is found 16 times in your New Testament. I've looked down a list of those times. And 13 of those times are in the book of Revelation. The seven seals, for instance. The word always denotes a public or external, outside, visible mark. It's a, it's a marking. It's an external sign, like the seal on a letter in the days when they took candle wax and sealed it. Or it might be, uh, you know, when we go to a notary public, there's a seal that they put on a document and it not only is something that we can see, it is something we can put our fingers on and feel. It's even a raised seal. And nobody gets that tool that makes that raised seal except a notary public. And so the seal, is something that like on a will for instance i can look and see if it has that notarized seal and i can know that it is authentic that can't be even put on a copy machine and duplicated because it doesn't have that raised surface a seal a spragus is something that is a mark that is external and visible the instrument that makes it is called a seal um, when I, I talk to my friend who is a notary public sometimes, and I remember she said, I'll bring my seal to uh, my stamp or my seal. I'll bring my seal to worship, and I can notarize that document for you when you sign it there. So that instrument that impresses is also called a seal. And that seal has an inscription on it. And the inscription then makes that raised impression. So it can be the raised impression or the tool that makes the raised impression, but all of those are sealed, and all of those would be visible things. So metaphorically then, we could say that a seal might sometimes mean something is a secret. I've sealed this. I've put some wax on this and put a visible stamp on it, and I have hidden it from you 
And so don't open this. Don't break the seal. Don't break the seal on this until it's time. Seals, you know, our even our medications and our even our Coca-Colas are sealed. And that means that until the seal is broken, no one's tampered with what's inside. And sometimes we even read the warning. Don't consume this if the seal's been broken. The seal is something that is to hide, to protect, but it also has to be visible. It is a visible marking. And the word also denotes confirmation. So let's just look at a few passages that have S-P-R-A-G-I-S, spragus. And then during our next dig a bit, we'll look at another form of this same word. And we're going to determine, we're going to see if we can determine what the seal of the Holy Spirit is. The seal that God has put on us that has given His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Or has it? That is, has that happened? That's what we're going to be discussing. So, let's think about the seven seals in Revelation 5, 5. The scripture reads, And one of the elders said to me, don't weep, John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. In this one, we won't go into the details, but obviously Jesus Christ was able to unloose some seals that were visible, they were tangible, and they represented secrecy and security. Some things that had never been tampered with before were now being opened by the Lion of Judah, but it was a visible seal, seven of them. Now let's look at Revelation 7 verse 3, and I think you'll see something else that I just pointed out. Um, let's start with two. I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Don't hurt the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Here is a reference to the instrument as a seal. So, um, they were sealing the servants of our God in their foreheads. We're not going to talk about the significance of that right now, but just to say it was something that was going to be visible that they were going to put on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Now, number three, Abraham in Romans 4 verse 11 got the sign, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet been uncircumcised. He had faith, but he was uncircumcised, and so his circumcision was the seal, the outward sign on his body of an inward faith that he already had. That circumcision was a seal, a confirmation of the faith that he already had before he was circumcised. So the word there is used as a mark of confirmation. Number four, for the seal of my apostleship, now we're in 2 Corinthians, our book 12, 12, has the word spragus in it. For the seal of my apostleship are you, 
in the Lord. That's in, I'm sorry, that's in 9 verse 2. You have 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 2. The Corinthians were the seal of his apostleship. And then in 12, 12 of 2 Corinthians, we learn that those gifts, that the, they were miraculous gifts, and we know that clearly from the context, that the Corinthians received from the hands of Paul, those gifts, the very fact that they got those miraculous gifts, confirmed that Paul was an apostle because the apostles and the apostles only remember from Acts 8 and other places only the apostles could pass along those gifts could confer those gifts by the laying out of hands so the miraculous gifts that the Corinthians got through the hands of Paul confirmed him as an apostle and the Corinthians as being acceptable to God so let me real quickly turn to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12. It says there, The signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So when we put that with 1 Corinthians 9 verse 2, the seal of my apostleship are you in the Lord. When we put those two verses together, we see that the miraculous gifts that the Corinthians had gotten through the hands of Paul were the confirmation. They were the seal of his apostleship. The seal of my apostleship are you in the Lord. How were they the seal? How were they the, the guarantee that Paul was an apostle? Well, he put his hands on him, and the miracles came from the Holy Spirit. And in that way, they confirmed that Paul was an apostle. And the Corinthians were pleasing to God. They wouldn't have gotten the gifts of the Holy Spirit if they weren't, being, if they weren't Christians, disciples, pleasing to God. So when we put those two passages together, we clearly see that the seal of Paul's apostleship was the fact that the Corinthian church individuals, when the hands of Paul were laid on them, they received the gifts of the Holy Spirit, confirming, oh, thank you, Paul. You are an apostle. We can tell you are an apostle. Otherwise, we would not have the gifts that you conferred on us when you laid your hands on us. So, spragus, seal. We find that word several times in Revelation, but one is Revelation 5.5, 5, the visible impression that made something off limits or secret until the Lion of Judah broke the seal. We find it in Revelation 7.3. We find it in Romans 4.11, the sign of circumcision, the seal of circumcision, the spragus of circumcision, the outward mark showing that confirming that Abraham did have the faith. They were confirming his faith. And then we find it in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 2. You are my seal of apostleship in the Lord. You are my spragus. You are what shows that I truly, confirms that I truly am an apostle. Next time we'll talk about another form of that word. But in the end, after these couple of digabits, maybe three, I will, we will decide whether or not today we have that seal of the Holy Spirit in the same way. All right, I hope you're having a good day.